This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Well, the climate change movement is having a growing impact within companies and maybe more importantly within the boardrooms of publicly traded companies. Two weeks ago, stock investors ousted a pair of directors with ExxonMobil because they were viewed as maybe not being in tune enough with the threat of climate change. Chevron shareholders voted for a proposal to force the company to reduce pollution. And Royal Dutch Shell has been ordered to slash emissions quicker than had been asked by a Dutch court. Lots going on here. Sarah Light, Associate Professor of Legal Studies and Business Ethics at the Wharton School, joins us to discuss this shift. Hi, Sarah. How are you? Hi, Dan. I'm great. Thanks so much for having me on your show today. Thank you. So give us your overall thoughts on what we've seen with all of these companies over the last few weeks. Well, I think that what we saw last week in particular was really a kind of major shift um, among institutional investors all at the same time. And it really kind of you know, brought home how important climate change has become not only to um, environmental organizations, but to mainstream investors and asset managers. And so now we're in a situation here where we know uh, that the, uh, the the path to try and uh, lessen emissions is really drawing a lot of focus. We obviously have the component of renewable energy, but this impact that investors are having uh, really is, I think, catching some people off guard because of the fact that the oil industry, the oil and gas industry really has kind of, you know, not responded like this in any way, shape or form in the past. Yeah, so it's really interesting. There's been a bit of a distinction between the European oil majors or oil and gas majors and the U.S. oil and gas majors by and large. So some of the European Firms like BP, actually Royal Dutch Shell, and Total, the, the French oil and gas major, they have made more significant public voluntary commitments to reduce their emissions. Exxon, Chevron, Conoco, Phillips, the other U.S. oil and gas majors um, have made some commitments, but they haven't been as strong. So, just to mm. give one example, um, the and again, Royal Dutch Shell is you know based in the Netherlands, uh, Royal Dutch Shell had made a commitment to um, publicly to reduce the carbon intensity of its products by 20% by 2030 and 100% by 2050. So that was its voluntary commitment. What happened last week was that a district court in the Netherlands held that um, Royal Dutch Shell is moving too slowly And um, it ordered the firm to cut its carbon emissions not by 20% by 2030, but by 45% by 2030 as compared to 2019 levels. So it basically doubled the pace and also made clear, um, so Royal Dachelle's prior commitment had been one to reduce what's called carbon intensity. And what that means is, let's say I'm making a product and it takes, you know, it emits 100 units of carbon emissions to make the product. If I reduce the intensity, then for each unit, I only emit 80 or 50, right? The issue is that if you reduce carbon intensity, you can still ramp up how many units you make. So I can reduce my carbon emissions intensity by 50%, which sounds fantastic and could be fantastic. But if I triple the number of units I make, then my emissions have actually gone up. And what the court said to Royal Dutch Shell last week was, 
intensity isn't going to cut it. You actually need to have an absolute reduction in emissions. So we know that they're going down, and you can't kind of play the game of increasing the number of units while touting your, uh, your you know, increased efficiency. Um, so that was really big. And, of course, that was in Europe. The, the big U.S. news, obviously, are these um, shareholder actions with respect to Exxon and Chevron and uh, ConocoPhillips and actually also Phillips 66, which hasn't made as much news because it's not as, as big a firm. But with respect to Exxon, um, a small activist investment fund, which only owns 0.02% of Exxon's shares, right? Very small, you know, less than 0.1%. Yeah. of Exxon's shares, was able to begin this campaign, and ultimately their goal was to have four new directors elected to Exxon's board. They were successful with, uh, in getting three of those four elected. So the initial reports were two of them were elected. Um, just within the last couple of days, it became clear that the votes were there for the third. So the fourth was not successful. But what I've... engine number one's strategy was was to get... Major institutional investors like the California State Teachers Retirement System, the Church of England Investment Fund, the New York State Common Retirement Fund, and then the big three, BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street, all of them supported this campaign. And as a result, it was successful. Well, and and the BlackRock side of this... Uh, along with the other uh, institutional funds. I mean, BlackRock, from what I read, owns about 6.5% of Exxon. And when you have that kind of support behind you, they voted for three of the four nominees brought forward by Engine Number 1. When you have that kind of support, that's really going to draw the attention of the leadership of the company itself. Absolutely. You're 100% spot on. I mean, BlackRock essentially owns the market, right? So it alone owns about 6.6% of Exxon's shares. But when you add BlackRock shares, State Street shares, and Vanguard shares, collectively those three institutional investors own about 20% of the shares of Exxon. And that has real power. And then on top of that, you know, you add the various state pension and retirement funds, um, which likewise owns sort of major portions of the market. These are major institutional investors who um, might take a different approach to thinking about climate change from any single person like you, right? Like Tara White investing for purposes of retirement. Well, obviously, I'm going to take the environment into account. But if you own the entire market and there's a concern that climate change is going to depress the entire market, you can't diversify away that risk. And so as a result, these major investment houses like BlackRock and State Street and Vanguard and the retirement funds, they have to take a much longer-term view to take into account risks like climate change that you can't diversify away. And so this is, this is really becoming an, you know, an engine of change, no pun intended with engine number one. Um, but even the, the two firms that kind of manage these proxy voting uh, contest, institutional shareholder services in Glass-Lewis, each recommended that investors vote in Glass-Lewis's case for two of the four and ISS for three of the four. So there's a real kind of key change from this being something that's reported in, you know, the 
the journals that I, as an environmental management and law professor, read on a regular basis to sure. the front page of the Wall Street Journal. And I think that shift is really significant. So th- this also then has to be a, uh, a time where we're going to potentially see a change of mindset by the CEOs of these companies as well, correct? Well, one certainly hopes so, right? I mean, at the end of the day, it's the board of directors that has the legal obligation to make long-term policy choices for the company, um, and then they delegate that obligation to the managers of the company. Um, you know, it is, of course, always possible for people to be outvoted, right? There are, I believe, 12 members of Exxon's board, and now there are yeah. three that are uh Focusing on kind of renewable energy, new energy, changing uh, a, you know a world in the changing climate. Um, but yes, the goal really is to increase the dialogue, increase the expertise, and just think more broadly um, among these firms about how to um, mitigate risks and uh, seize potential opportunities because the opportunities really are there. Uh, we're right. in a world where, you know, renewable energy uh, is uh, significant. We are in a world in which electric vehicles are, um, uh, you know, Ford just announced that it has, I believe, more than 70,000 pre-orders for the new F-150 truck. But yeah. we're, we're in a world that is changing. Well, and the other part to it, Sarah, and we're joined by Sarah Light of the Warden School, is this issue of transparency, which is one that is being discussed more and more in a lot of different realms. In many cases, companies have really made a shift in recent years to be more transparent with their stakeholders. Maybe the oil and gas sector had not gotten to that point, but it appears now there is much more of a call for them to get to that point in the next couple of years. Absolutely. Disclosure of climate risk is a really significant sort of hot issue at the moment. The reason why is because in order to address risk, if you're a bank and you're trying to decide, you know, whether to underwrite a loan, if you're an insurance company and you're trying to decide whether to underwrite a new project, if you are, you know, a major institutional investor and you're trying to decide whether to support some kind of new investment, you need to understand what are the climate risks um, that this entity or project faces. And right. so um, there are kind of two separate universes of disclosure. One are these voluntary disclosures that companies make in their sustainability reports, which themselves have become more extensive. But right. there's mandatory public filings that are required by the Securities and Exchange Commission. And the SEC in the new administration is actively considering the extent to which it needs more specific rules about uh, climate risk disclosure for different firms. So you're totally spot on. This is something that uh, there is a significant push not only among investors for more information and data, but also from government regulators in order to ensure that the markets are operating smoothly, with integrity, and with full information available to the investment, uh, the investing community. Sarah, thanks very much for a few moments today. Wish you all the best. Thank you so much for having me. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Sarah Light, Associate Professor of Legal Studies and Business Ethics here at the Wharton School. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.